Here's another inspiring speech recorded at Communities in Control, Australia's biggest and best annual community sector gathering. Uh, thank you very much, Dennis, for that overly generous uh, welcome and good afternoon, everyone. It is lovely to be back in the midst of Communities in Control. Uh, do you ever find yourself despairing about man's inhumanity to man? Yes. Do you sometimes wonder whether the wearying gender wars will ever end? Are you shocked by the level of violence in our society? Yes. Uh, are you shocked by our failure even after all these years to effect true reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians? Do you sometimes shake your head in disgust at the behaviour of politicians in our parliaments? Yes. Are you saddened uh, when you hear people abusing each other? Of course. The answer to all those questions is yes, and I could go on with a gloomy list like that uh, for as long as we've got. Um, there is plenty of ugly stuff in the world. In fact, it's quite fashionable at the moment to be gloomy quite fashionable to be cynical about the state of the world uh, and the kind of people humans are. Uh, and of course, if we paid attention, too much attention to radio and television and print news, we might form a very gloomy impression of the world because of course news is about stuff that makes news. And what makes news is stuff that is unusual, stuff that is not uh, normal, conventional routine. That doesn't make the news. What makes the news is when people do something extremely unusual and mostly in a negative direction. So why don't we look at the big picture? Why don't we look at the whole story and remind ourselves that in fact there is much more good stuff happening in the world every day than any of the bad stuff you hear on the news, ugly and dreadful though some of that is. The everyday acts of kindness, compassion, goodwill, cooperation going on all around us all the time and never making the news for the very simple reason that that's humans being normal humans. Just think about some of the examples of what's going on around you all the time in a positive way. The people who would stop without a second thought to help strangers out of a jam. The people who will help a frail elderly person cross a busy street or get on or off a bus. Uh, the people who give up their own ambition uh, in order to support perhaps a partner or someone else uh, to satisfy their ambition or to care for a relative living with some disability. The people who night after night, week after week, year after year, volunteer their services to help feed the poor and the homeless. The people who, again, without a second thought, rush to the aid of those who've been affected by floods or fires, especially that most dramatic of all bushfire seasons that we had at the beginning of, at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. What about the people who devote big chunks of their week to patrolling surf beaches or 
training as bushfire fighters or coaching underprivileged kids sporting teams or helping slow readers at the local school uh, or coaching migrants who are struggling with English. And, and in Victoria, what about the thousands of retired school teachers who volunteered their services to help kids who'd been disadvantaged by the so-called homeschooling uh, that went on uh, during the pandemic lockdown and any parents in the room who were trying to be homeschoolers probably know what a futile exercise that was for so many, and futile and stressful uh, for, for most parents involved in it. And what about those people who quite late in life plant trees? They know it's gonna take a long time for that. They're never gonna pick the fruit. They're never gonna sit in the shade of those trees, but they do that uh, as an act of kindness for future generations. What about at the simplest level, those people who always smile, always say hello or give you a wave when they pass you in the street, even though they may not know you and you may never see each other again. Well, I could go on with that list. That's a much, much, much longer list than the look, list of terrible things going on in the world. Um, uh, the good deeds in any human society always outnumber the bad, and that's because the tendency to behave kindly is an inherent part of human nature, and we often overlooked overlook that spectacular fact about our species. We are, after all, a social species. We are built to connect. That's, that's who we are, that's, that's in our nature. We are designed to cooperate with each other. We're utterly dependent on families, neighborhoods, groups, communities, workplaces, schools, organizations of every kind to sustain us and nurture us and provide the emotional security that comes from that all-important sense of belonging. Now, because we need some measure of social harmony in order for our species to survive, let alone thrive, our brains are wired for kindness and cooperation. Neuroscientists can now peep into the human brain in a way that psychologists and philosophers could previously only imagine and what they tell us is there is an identifiable cooperative center in the brain. Uh, that shouldn't surprise anyone. Of course, a social species like ours would have evolved uh, with a cooperative center in the brain because that's what we need to make the species function. And it's probably our most precious asset. And yet, it's very easily undervalued or brushed aside in favor of more ego-driven, uh, competitive, self-centered impulses which also exist. But when we're being true to what Abraham Lincoln described as the better angels of our nature, we're capable of great kindness. And notice this, we're capable of great kindness even towards people we don't like. We're capable of great kindness even to pour towards people we could never agree with about anything. We're capable, here's perhaps the most sensational bit, we're capable of great kindness even towards total strangers. 250 years ago, Samuel Johnson wrote very wisely, I don't agree with everything Samuel Johnson wrote, um, but he was certainly wise about this when he wrote, kindness is in our power even when fondness is not. 
In other words, you don't have to like someone in order to be kind to them. Uh, in fact, isn't the kindness of strangers and of people who might, we might think of as enemies one of the loveliest things you've ever experienced? Isn't it one of the most encouraging and hopeful uh, aspects of human nature? Well, think about 2020. Hard not to. Uh, during the pandemic and the, and the bushfires that preceded it, we in Australia, and most especially in Victoria, uh, drew on our capacity for kindness on a massive scale. In fact, uh, I'd interpret it this way. I would say we had never previously witnessed an outpouring of love like we did during the pandemic. The empty car parks, the deserted school playgrounds, pubs and restaurants closed, people keeping a respectful distance from each other when they had to mingle at the supermarket or in a coffee line or at a bus stop, people wearing masks when asked to do so, but going way beyond what they were asked to do. Neighbours looking out for each other, doing each other's shopping, paying more attention to the frail aged and others at risk of social isolation in their neighbourhoods and communities. Now, not everyone would interpret it as positively as I just have. Some people found it all a bit spooky. Some people said, isn't it sad? I see the school playground empty and I just feel sad. Now, some people, of course, tried to carry on as if nothing had happened and they were putting their own and other people's health at risk. But most of us accepted the seriousness of the situation and responded accordingly as humans always do when there's a crisis or a catastrophe to be dealt with. I was talking to a journalist recently who said, yeah, but people were fighting over toilet rolls in supermarket aisles. And I said, how many? Uh, we heard all about them on the news. We saw the same footage played endlessly. About maybe six people in Australia fought over toilet rolls in a supermarket aisle, but 25 million didn't. Uh, uh, we, we behaved as we usually do whether it's a societal crisis or a personal crisis, maybe a life-threatening illness, maybe a bereavement, maybe a relationship breakdown or a retrenchment, uh, or on a societal scale, floods, fires or pandemics, how do, we, how do we typically respond? Not universally, but typically, how do we respond? Well, by modifying our behaviour in the case of the pandemic, by modifying our behaviour so radically uh, in response to that threat, we were showing our care and concern for each other and our willingness to make personal sacrifices for the common good. Now that sounds grandiose, doesn't it, when I say our willingness to make personal sacrifices for the common good, but that's what humans do because we belong to a social species. We belong to, co to a cooperative species. We make personal sacrifices for the common good routinely, not as something to make a, a song and dance about or a fuss or to seek praise for, but simply the way it is for people who understand fully what it means to be human. And those are all signs of what I regard as the purest form of human love. That's why I described our behaviour during the pandemic as an outpouring of love. Of course, I'm not talking about romantic love, which is exciting. I'm not talking about familial love, which is remarkable, allows us to love people we don't always particularly like you know, in our families. 
companionate love is absolutely fundamental to our mental and emotional health. We need those circles of friendship. But there is this other, I think, purer form of love, the love that has absolutely, this sounds like a contradiction, but stay with me for a moment, the love that has absolutely nothing to do with emotion, the love that has absolutely nothing to do with affection, the love that says we are going to treat each other kindly and respectfully regardless of how we happen to feel about each other because we know that's the only way a human community can survive. One of the most impressive things about humans is not only our capacity to cope with life's inevitable disruptions, upheavals, catastrophes, whether, as I said, personal or societal, and not only, not only do we cope with them, generally speaking, in the way I've described, but we also learn from them and even benefit from them. Uh, I was talking just a few days ago to a retired American academic who'd worked in London during the 1950s and he said uh, he was initially shocked by the number of people he ran into in London who were saying to him, we really miss the war. And he said, how could you possibly miss the war? And of course they weren't saying we miss the bombs, we miss the rubble, we miss the destruction and the death. What they were saying was we miss the sense of people who were pulling together and communities that were strongly bonded with each other. The generation of Australians who lived through the Great Depression, mostly they're dead now, but the, the, the Depression of the late 20s and early uh, 30s, uh, looking back on that, I spoke to a lot of them during my research career, uh, and there was a very, very typical narrative that they told about the experience of living through the Depression. Number one, it was appalling, horrendous, a time of terrible hardship and deprivation for many people, unemployment at levels we can't even imagine today and sustained over years, and virtually no social security provisions to support those who were uh, in the unemployment queues. Uh, people genuinely wondering, often day to day, whether they were going to be, be able to put food on the table, neighbours looking out for each other, pooling their resources and so on. Uh, really tough. Now, decades later, by the time I was talking to some of these people about that experience, they were still able to describe what it was like and, again, not universally, but typically, what they said was, you know, that was the making of us. And what did they mean? They meant under the pressure of hardship, under the pressure of having to cope with a crisis, having to deal with being disrupted and disadvantaged by those circumstances, they thought deeply about what really mattered to them. Uh, they, they thought about the values that were worth hanging on to. They reordered their priorities in the face of the hardship that they were facing not just for a few months but for a few years. And they said those learnings never left them. They became a bit of a laughing stock in their own families. Their children and grandchildren often laughed at them because they'd never throw out a piece of string or a rubber band. And they were the people who would always bake a cake when someone new moved into the street to go and welcome them and so on. Uh, well, are we going to see a COVID effect in contemporary Australia, 
Are we going to be changed by the experience of living through uh, the disruptions, fire, pandemic uh, of 2020? Almost certainly we are and have already been changed by those experiences. But the question I want to ask you to address now and into the future is, are the lessons that we learned from the experience of 2020 lessons that are going to endure with us? Are we going to take the ways we changed during 2020 as an example of how we could change even when there isn't a crisis, even when we're not dealing with a catastrophe? Uh, did we ask ourselves uh, more deeply the question, what really matters to us? when we went through months of lockdown, and in the case of Victoria, repeated lockdowns? Uh, did we ask what values are worth clinging to? Did we reorder our priorities in the face of all of this? And the answer is, yes, we did, on a huge scale. And typically, we became, during those months, more caring of each other, because that's the inevitable consequence of realising, as we always do, when there's a crisis or a catastrophe to deal with, that we are not individuals, unique, separate, uh, independent. We are that. But the deeper truth about us, the real story about us, lies beneath all that. The real story is that we are all part of a shimmering, vibrating web of interconnectedness and interdependency. Think about some of the ways the pandemic has already changed us. Uh, so I've already mentioned the impact of local on, on local neighbourhoods. I'm sure you're aware of what happened in your street or suburb or town, and you can multiply that up all over Australia. I'll just give you a couple of very quick examples of cases I'm aware of. Early in the pandemic, I found myself trapped in a webinar. I'm sure you've uh, participated <laughs> in webinars. Uh, a, a word, incidentally, that I think should have been strangled at birth. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, we know what a webinar is, and inevitably in the webinar we were siphoned off into chat rooms, and I found myself in a chat room just with two other people, both young, young men, early, early 30s, I'd say, uh, one in Melbourne, one in Sydney, and by co they didn't know each other. By coincidence, they had each moved into new accommodation just before the lockdown. Uh, so they found themselves in a street, in a suburb, where they knew no one. And so what did they do? Quite independently, they each did exactly the same thing. They wrote little notes on, in which they said, I'm new to the street, I don't know anyone here, but here's my phone number. If you need anything, shopping, mowing, prescriptions collected, anything, just give us a call. Question. Would those young men, had they moved into that new accommodation without a lockdown, would they have done that? Almost certainly not. Almost certainly they would have moved in, just gone on with their lives, maybe eventually got to know the neighbours, maybe not. Maybe the neighbours would have noticed them, maybe not. But the crisis, the disruption, brought out the best in them and I have no doubt in the neighbours that they uh, left those notes with. Another quick example, in Melbourne, um, a friend of mine is a grandmother who during the lockdown with her daughter and two-year-old granddaughter developed the habit of going to the local farmer's market every Saturday morning, getting a bag of oranges, walking up and down the street and having the, two, the three of them, and having the two-year-old 
offer an orange to everyone in the street. Would you like an orange? Of course, everyone wanted an orange offered to them by a two-year-old girl with mum and grandma standing behind. And they did that every week during the lockdown. Uh, they stopped once the lockdown stopped, but they said that the street has been transformed. Uh, people are much more inclined to greet each other, to smile and wave and so on. As a question, would they have spontaneously thought of distributing oranges in their street if there hadn't been a crisis? No. Uh, other things that changed. We became more, a risk, uh, more aware of the risks of social isolation, didn't we? Because we all got a tiny taste. We may, we've heard about social isolation and we've perhaps theoretically thought, yes, it wouldn't be good for people, not good for members of a social species to be socially isolated. In fact, in our criminal justice system, solitary confinement is the worst punishment we can think of because it is the worst punishment for members of a social species. But now we got a little taste of it, particularly if, if you live alone, you had a little, a, a little taste of what it's like for people who are constantly at risk of social isolation, and you might have sensed the health hazards that are associated with so social isolation, and it's a long and daunting list of health hazards, not just obviously anxiety and depression and loneliness, that triple epidemic that we are suffering from long before uh, the, the, the pandemic hit us. Before the pandemic, 25% of Australians were reporting that they feel lonely for most of every week. So loneliness was a problem pre-lockdown and much more of a problem during lockdown, but also health consequences like hypertension and inflammation and uh, disturbed sleep and greater, um, uh, a greater vulnerability to addictions and all of these things are associated with social isolation. Now we are not socially isolated, perhaps we are being a little more thoughtful about the people who still are and who need us uh, to contribute uh, to, to minimising their risk of all those things happening to them. Many of us revised the need for travel. We revised the need for buying all that stuff that we uh, typically buy. Many people who worked from home realised that they could lead a more flexible life even when they were permitted to go back to the workplace, uh, that they could be, um, life could be a little simpler and everyone found to their amazement that productivity, productivity, productivity actually rose uh, when people were working from home. Not very surprising. Take away two hours of commuter stress from your day uh, and you're much more likely to be productive. Uh, we discovered that IT is brilliant. We all learned about Zoom and webinars. Uh, many of us became Zoombies uh, from too much time on Zoom. And we all thought, isn't that brilliant? It's a life-saving technology when we can't see each other. But didn't it remind us vividly and powerfully of just how inadequate the technology is, of how different it is from this, how different it is when you're gazing at a two-dimensional picture and your brain is trying to process it as if it's three-dimensional, which it isn't, and then switching back into three-dimensional. People described how much tireder they got as a result of having a Zoom meeting than a three-dimensional meeting, and that was true. Uh, there is a, a form of brain fatigue uh, that actually follows from the business of trying to process what you're, what you're thinking of as three dimensions in two dimensions. Uh, underneath all that, I won't go on and on about it, but underneath all that, I think it's fair to say as a general point, we learn to value each other more. We learned 
to appreciate just how crucial uh, personal connections, personal contact really is. Even the tone of emails changed. And my experience during the pandemic, the first and last paragraphs were often more personal, more caring than the normal cut to the chase kind of email. Well, don't you think it would be a tragedy? Don't you think, in fact, it would be rather pathetic if we forgot all those lessons and just went back to the way things had been before we had that formative learning experience in the face of that disruption? Um, maybe not everyone is hoping uh, that we'll internalise these lessons. I saw a wonderful cartoon uh, uh, last week, the two women talking to each other, other about the experience of the pandemic. One was saying to the other, I'm looking forward to the time when I can forget all that stuff I learned about myself while we were, <laughs> while we were in lockdown. Uh, well, my hope is exactly the opposite. My hope is that we are not going to forget all that stuff we learned about ourselves and each other during the lockdown. And what about if we don't just do something personal about this, we don't just express in our personal relationships the learnings that we learned through that disruption, but what about if we multiply it up? Is it conceivable that we could apply those lessons more generally to our society? Here's a little thing to dream of. Could we dream of Australia based on what happened in 2020 could we dream of Australia becoming known not just as the lucky country, but as a loving country? A loving country would certainly uh, be what would result from a kindness revolution. We'd make a more energetic commitment to reconciliation uh, with the peoples of our First Nations. Uh, we'd have a far more humane response to people who come here as refugees and those seeking asylum. Uh, we'd make a more determined effort to eradicate poverty and homelessness. There'd be much more urgent action about minimising the impact of climate change. Uh, we might finally grow out of, how about this? We might finally grow out of racism, sexism, ageism. A more loving country would certainly more, be more generous to those for whom we have no work to those struggling with mental illness, disabilities, other debilitating conditions. A more loving country uh, would take much better care of its frail aged. A more loving country would tackle the problem of educational inequality with more imagination. For a start, perhaps by cutting back on the 12 to $15 billion of public money we give to non-public schools every year, uh, resulting in many public schools being under-resourced. A more loving country would insist on far more civility in the conduct of our politics and industrial relations and so on. Well, do we really need crises and catastrophes? Do we have to wait for a war, uh, let alone a pandemic, to jolt us into resetting our personal and national agendas? I think it would be a bit sad if that, if that were the case. Haven't we had enough of a learning in 2020 to go on with it? Well, to wrap up, let me, uh, let, let me ask, uh, suggest this. If, if there was just one thing you were going to take away from today as a thing you could change in the way you operate uh, as a symbol of the fact that you've decided to join the kindness revolution uh, and to contribute uh, to Australia becoming a kinder, more compassionate, more tolerant um, place characterised by more goodwill, what would be the one thing I'd suggest? 
The one thing I'd suggest is you might sharpen up your listening skills. The deepest social need that human beings have is the need to be taken seriously, the need to be heard, to be appreciated, to be noticed, to be understood. And for most people, the most potent symbol of the fact that someone is taking me seriously is when they listen to me, attentively and empathically. No wonder being listened to is such a therapeutic experience when you consider the deep human need that it's addressing. But notice that the, the converse is also true, of course. If you don't listen to someone, or if you only half listen or pretend to listen, the message you're conveying without having to say a single word is, I'm sorry, I don't take you seriously enough to bother listening to you. Uh, and would you ever say that? Would you ever say that to a partner or to a child or to a friend or a neighbour or a colleague? Of course you wouldn't. And yet that's what we say, in other words, uh, every time we fail to listen. When we fail to listen, we jeopardise people's sense of self-worth but when we listen attentively and with empathy, we provide a safe haven for another person's thoughts. Now, I'm not suggesting that if we all became better listeners, the kindness revolution would, uh, that'd be enough. It'd be a brilliant start, um, but there are various other steps that I'd suggest and that I do suggest in the book. And in fact, those of you who want your book signed uh, will, or even if you don't, there are cards uh, that I'm handing out uh, that suggest four very simple steps. Uh, the CARE program, connect, accept, respect and engage. I won't explain what they are now because we're virtually out of time. Um, but, but let me wrap this up by simply saying if we dare to dream of a kinder, more compassionate, more cooperative, more respectful, more inclusive, more egalitarian, more harmonious, less cynical society. And wouldn't you dare to dream of that? Would you dream of you? Do you ever wake up in the morning saying, I just wish Australia was a bit less kind. I just wish there was a bit more violence around. I just wish people could be ruder to each other. No, it's that kind of, the, the dream is universal, isn't it? A less violent a more compassionate, a kinder, more tolerant, more mutually respectful society. Well, if you do dream of that, there is actually only one... Don't, don't wait for the government to wave, wave a magic wand and make it happen. There's only one way to turn that dream into reality, and that is for each of us to start living as if that is the kind of society we live in, and when enough of us live as if it's that kind of society, that's the kind of society it will become. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this highlight from the Communities in Control Library. If you did, we'd love you to rate or review this podcast in the iTunes Store and for you to share it with your friends. For further information about Communities in Control, visit ourcommunity.com.au forward slash CIC.